great movies are also great to review. It's kind of like having a really great meal where it's like you start out and you're like, oh, wow, the, you know, these mashed potatoes are really good. And then it's like, oh, but this gravy is amazing with the mashed potatoes. Oh, my God, the turkey with it is incredible. Like everything is working on every level. Baited? Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Action! Hello and happy today, everyone. This is the Restaurant Fiction Podcast, where we review every single fictional restaurant, bar, and club in TV and film, as well as give an insider perspective on why food and beverage in TV and film is so significant. Today's episode is not about restaurant fiction. It's about our favorite film podcast, Black on Black Cinema. We've been an admirer of this movie podcast for some time now and thought it would be awesome to have on one of its hosts, Jay Jackson Rao. Who is Jay? Well, besides hosting Black on Black Cinema, he hosts a number of popular and incredible podcasts through his TNP studios, which include The Nerdpocalypse, Dense Pixels, and Airing of Grievances, the second main reason why he is here. You see, Airing of Grievances is a podcast devoted to Seinfeld. That is the reason Monk's Cafe is our fictional restaurant for this episode. Jay and I break down Monk's and why it impacts many more people beyond The New Yorker. We get into how the fictional restaurants featured in black movies and TV shows have changed over the years. And we chat about Baltimore, where TNP Studios resides, which always means we talk about The Wire. Before we begin, I ask a question to Jay about changing his order at a diner to the complete opposite. That is a callback to a particular Seinfeld episode where the character George does the exact same thing. If you do not know what episode I am talking about, well, you've been living under a rock. Do yourself a favor and just watch Seinfeld. Also, we have one ask, guys. If you can tell one of your friends, just one, to listen to Black on Black Cinema... Pick any episode you want, start there, then go backward or forward. Doesn't matter. You're in for a real treat. Okay, without any further ado, here's our review of Monk's Cafe and our conversation with Jay Jackson Rao. Go. There is something truly about a diner that really speaks to our heart, that speaks to our soul. For example, one particular diner is actually in Manhattan. Yes, Manhattan, the tiny dense island of the state of New York. 
It's called Monk's Cafe, and one thing that is very special about Monk's Cafe is they ward off hipsters. Yes, this is not some kind of ironic diner to be cool. This is just your salt-of-the-earth diner, uh, giving you some kind of location of where this Monk's Cafe is. It's on the Upper West Side, pretty much locals only. They don't advertise. They don't have an Instagram. They don't have a fancy Facebook in a way that adds to the charm. So let's take you inside. What are we looking at? Well, we're looking at a hodgepodge of kish and dive. Really, the only thing that doesn't really welcome us, it's a cashier. Does she say hello, good morning? No, she just happily takes your money, which by the way, this Monk's Cafe is only cash. Now, you do have a choice of going to a Broadway show, but for us at Restaurant Fiction, the Broadway show is almost inside Monk's Cafe. You see the customers are entertaining enough. All right, let's get to the food. So the food, guess what? Nothing special. No. You put your order into the waiter or waitress, then the line cook, he takes your ticket, he scoops the tuna on two pieces of rye toast, he grabs a handful of fries. Uh, luckily, he does wear, in these times right now, he does wear a glove, so don't worry about that, and a face mask. He puts it on a plate. He doesn't dress up the plate with any accoutrements or garnishes. No, and he rings a bell and order is up. There is almost a decorum of how to eat at monks and what is that decorum you can grab the menu just to be polite but really with confidence know what you're already going to want like already going to order i mean even if you don't just assume that you do my ideal location at any kind of diner is the booth because when you uh, more than the counter because when you sit at the booth it's almost as if you have the best seat in the house and you can see all of what is happening. You can see how the outside of Manhattan, everyone is pacing to that New York minute. Either people are legitimately busy or they're just busy for the sake of being busy. But really, once you're in this booth, it's almost as if time is frozen where you don't really talk about anything meaningful. You kind of just talk about nothing. And whether that is comedic or tragic, that's up to you and that's your opinion. But to us, that's just great theater. Anyway, Jay, that is our little quick general review of Monk's Cafe from Seinfeld. What do you have to add? What do you have to uh, change? What's your uh, opinion on that? This is a sort of cheesy line, but I think there's a Monk's Cafe in all of us. <laughs> so, um, you know, Monk's is interesting because Monk's, like every great restaurant or bar in a movie or a television show, it's a character in and of itself. Monk's is where the silliest of conversations happen, and they're conversations that I can 100% relate to. Some of them I've, I've practically had with my best friend, who I do a show with. It's a life of its own. It has its own set of characters that exist solely there on the show. They don't ever show up anywhere else. It's sort of like the fifth wheel of that four-person uh, uh, main cast. To truly be a fan of Seinfeld and... And a fan of diners in general, I think you have to be willing to have meandering conversations that seemingly don't mean anything. Where you finish the conversation, you go, what were we even talking about? Yeah, it doesn't even matter. It's small talk taken to its logical extreme, which small talk is about nothing. Somehow getting in depth about absolutely nothing is much more rewarding than small talk ever could be. 
I don't think I gravitated towards that show and the idea of Monk's Cafe because it was a new concept to me. I think it just captured a concept that I was already living. And it was like, oh, that's something I recognize. It was more about seeing myself in that environment than finding that environment anew. We all want to assume that we're saying things that are groundbreaking or really interesting to talk about. But I argue, probably 80% of the time, you're not talking about anything. (laughs) Booth or counter, where are we sitting? If I'm going to have a conversation about nothing, I don't want to then be distracted by other conversations of nothing sitting at a counter. Uh, If I am alone, then I will sit at the counter reluctantly, but probably eating while looking at my phone. But if I'm with anyone else, we're going booth all the way. What are the reasons for having a diner specifically for your watering hole for characters to talk? And, And what I mean by that is like, why not put them at a bar? Why not put them at a club instead? From my perspective, it's because it's the everyman place. Diners are more accessible than a bar is to everyone because not everyone drinks, but everyone eats. So I think by having them at a diner, it allows them to just appeal to everybody because that's the whole point. It's not really about them appealing to any one demographic, which I think is part of the reason the show is so popular. It's sort of their generality and then their antics that make them relatable. Not so much like, this is Jerry and he is you know this type of person. He almost has no personality except for the type of antics he gets into. And that's kind of true for the rest of them as well. When you just walk into a diner and you go to whoever is with you and you're like, you know what? Today, I'm going to be completely opposite in every single way. And it's starting with what I order. If I'm at a diner, I almost never get anything that's not breakfast. I don't care what time of day it is. It could be three in the morning or four in the afternoon. doesn't matter. I want breakfast. It's a diner. They have expert short order cooks. Like give these, give these people some eggs and see what they can do. So I'm normally a Swiss cheese omelet guy with sliced tomato on the side, perhaps toast and a coffee generally. Sometimes I get home fries, depends on the diner. Sometimes they're not very good. The complete opposite of that would be me getting a salmon salad at a diner. Because I also have a very strict rule when it comes to food is, I don't get seafood in places that seafood is not their thing. You have this very popular podcast, Black on Black Cinema. What, in terms of just thinking of how often there are restaurants Uh, the films that you review on your podcast, what types of restaurants that we have not seen in black cinema? Yeah, I was thinking about this. I want to say that we haven't seen enough five-star restaurants, like really super high-end restaurants in black cinema. And that's, you know, sort of a wealth disparity in the topics by which uh, a lot of black films are focused on. That was less true in the 90s in what I would refer to as one of the sort of top line moments in black cinema, at least my golden age growing up. But you don't see a lot of top five-star restaurants, and that's a shame because there's some really great ones. But also, you don't see a lot of non-black culture restaurants outside of sort of maybe like Americanized Chinese food. But, you know, black people love sushi. We do. It's really good. There's other African-based foods that are not featured as much in black cinema, which in reality is not true, right? There are great Senegalese restaurants and things like that where I live, and 
there's tons of black people in there and they're not all Senegalese. I would argue just more ethnic restaurants outside of black American culture. We don't see that often. There was actually a better portrayal of restaurants in black cinema in the 90s. I would argue there was more variety. If you go back sort of into the 90s, a lot of movies were black people doing really well, right? The economy was doing pretty well. So it's reflected in our cinema, right? So you see movies with a lot of like black lawyers and like high level executives and things like Boomerang and things like that were really hard focused on black people at like really upper echelon parts of society. And that was like a really consistent theme for a while. And those were all black starring films and made by black directors and written by black writers. They really wanted to show black people really doing well. And black people were doing much better like than they are today, for instance. They showed them at five-star restaurants. They showed them eating sushi. They showed them doing a lot of things that were not quote-unquote stereotypical of films of an earlier date, which were oh, you're just, you're eating at fast food places or small barbecue places and things like that, which are far more associated with black culture than the other restaurants. What makes or breaks a film for you, Jay? Writing. Writing. I am a huge nerd, but sometimes I feel like with nerd films, you know, like Marvel films and things like that, people really love the action and the the spectacle. And that's great. I do too. But if the writing is bad, I really, really notice. What I mean by that, and that's really a generic way of saying dialogue between characters, do they sound real? Like, do they sound like human beings or do they sound very much manufactured? Because there are certain movies that that's on purpose and you can generally recognize those pretty quickly. Does the dialogue work between people? Like one of my favorite movies of last year, not that it has anything to do with food, is Marriage Story, where the dialogue between the two characters, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, is so unbelievably real sounding to me. I've never been divorced. I hope I don't ever get divorced. But it just feels incredibly real. And that, to me, is the mark of good writing, is that you are so drawn in to what they're saying and and how it's being said that it feels like you're just watching someone just filming normal people talking and not a couple of people reading lines. What is the difference then between reviewing a bad average or good film? And is it more fun to review one over the others? The bad one is definitely more fun. (laughs) What are your reasons? You know, sometimes we want to have really in-depth conversations about race and equity and what is the black experience in America and, you know, our anger towards it or, you know, our joy towards it or what have you. Sometimes you just want to tear a bad thing apart. (laughs) And part of that is because it's just sometimes it's fun to poke fun at just the ridiculousness of it all. You're just thinking to yourself, I can't believe someone thought that this works on camera. Did they watch this before they put it out? Like, that's crazy. The wackadoo dialogue, the really wacky circumstances. There's a movie that we reviewed. It was a Tyler Perry movie. And... There's a woman who, in the end sequence, she attacks this couple on a boat. Okay, how does she get on the boat? You didn't really explain that. They're in the middle of the ocean, I guess. But she just appears on the boat. Okay, maybe she stowed away. Maybe she's got like a cigarette boat and she chased it down. Whatever. Okay, I'm okay to, you know, suspend disbelief. It's fine, right? But then she gets knocked off the boat. And they show her get knocked off the boat. 
And then she shows up again. How fast is she swimming? The boat is not anchored. The boat is moving. So it's just funny things like that, that I'm always amazed in like big productions that those things kind of slip through the cracks. Great movies are also great to review, especially if they have real meat there, right? Not just, wow, this is a great performance, but there's like real themes, depth to the characters and things like that, where you really get to dig in, right? It's kind of like having a really great meal where... It's like you start out, you're like, oh, wow, the, you know, these mashed potatoes are really good. And then it's like, oh, but this gravy is amazing with the mashed potatoes. Oh, my God, the turkey with it is incredible. Like everything is working on every level. So it just deepens how much you are enjoying the meal. We reviewed Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. Every element of this movie is just one layer after another of just great work and it just is the acting is fantastic the writing is fantastic the just the characters are unique and interesting the topic is unique and interesting you don't see movies about black vietnam vets and their experience and the during the civil rights movement while they were over there and finding out king was killed while they're still in vietnam and things like that everything started was just deeper and deeper and it just made that meal that much better and then you see symbolism of like current day politics and th stuff like that. And it all coming full circle in the end. And that to me was like, this is exactly the type of great movie that people want to watch. The worst type of movies to review are middling movies where you're just like, why am I even here? You didn't care. I don't care. We could just move on. We've recorded half of an episode of a movie that we're set to review and then we just stop in the middle and realize there's nothing to talk about and it's not interesting for the audience what's the movie you love and everyone else hates that we've reviewed or movies in general both that we've reviewed i would say that i really loved medicine for melancholy and my two co-hosts hated it <laughs> which was sad to me it was one of the earlier episodes we did it's interesting because that was barry jenkins first film if folks don't know who barry jenkins is he's the guy who directed moonlight which we all loved as a generality a movie that i love that almost seemingly no one likes is under the skin which is starring scarlett johansson where she plays sort of an alien who kind of tricks men into uh coming along with her because they're attracted to her and then she basically kills them in this very weird alien thing. The film is very indie and very weird, I will happily admit. It's definitely not for everyone. Um, but it, to me, it has a lot more to do with how women are seen and ultimately the abuse that some women uh, face, I, I guess all women to some degree, face at the hands of men. Even women not of this world. It's sort of the ultimate guest in a society sort of perspective. And this character still suffers. If you've never seen Under the Skin and you're really into indie movies and like super interesting things, uh, yeah, check it out. But everyone hates it. <laughs> but me, apparently. How did you find your voice as a podcaster, as a creative, and how would you describe your voice? Our show is just a reflection of us. The conversations that you hear on those shows, it's just us reviewing movies, but these are literally the conversations the three of us have had in person. We don't talk a different way. We don't put on a certain affect or viewpoint or anything like that for the show. Like It's just us. And 
it's a completely unfiltered version of us, which I don't think we even know how to not do that. But as far as sort of finding our voice, originally the idea for the show was a black version of how did this get made, which was like us reviewing crazy, terrible black movies. And that would be our thing. And then soon after doing the first couple episodes, it was like, why don't we try to do something that's tackling an issue that we don't see often, which is just black films only as a generality, right? And there was just nothing else. I think there's a few podcasts like it now, but there was just nothing else like it at the time. It was just trying to do something that we hadn't seen before. But I think we just found our voice by just being honest. What's the dish that takes you back to your childhood? Baked macaroni and cheese. I think I would get my black card taken if I didn't say that. It <laughs> also happens to be true. Is this boxed? Absolutely not boxed. Oh my God. <laughs> no, this is like homemade. This is macaroni and cheese that goes in the oven. I cannot stress that enough. This is not soupy. Like if you take a spoon to it, it does not fill in. If it fills in, you are doing it very wrong. What about the hint of nutmeg? No, 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 no. Get out of here. <laughs> no. The fanciest my mom ever got is she also used white pepper uh, instead of black pepper so that it all looked very uniform. That was it. What characteristics make a bar or a restaurant have a Baltimore vibe? I mean, besides the ever so light smell of Old Bay, I feel like you got to have somebody working there with a Baltimore accent. For folks who are not from Baltimore or have never been to Baltimore, there are actually two Baltimore accents. There are oftentimes there discussion of one, really, but there are actually two. And it's weird, but I'm going to make it about race for a minute. The Baltimore accents are literally divided based on race. White Baltimore and black Baltimore have two completely different accents, both equally ridiculous. Um, <laughs> if you don't have a person or persons who has either accent, then it's a problem. If you're like a fancy restaurant, you want people, oh, they sound very cultured, fine. But if I'm talking about a place that I'm going in jeans and a t-shirt, I need somebody that's either saying, hey, hon, to me, or is that your dog? That's dog, by the way, in, in, in Baltimore East. I need that to make me feel like I'm at home. You got to tell me more, Jay, because uh, I'm, I'm not used to this. This is all new to me. This is all new to our listeners. So, like, why Baltimore has, I, I have to imagine it, it has, like, roots in sort of English and maybe even Irish immigrants. The white Baltimore accent is sort of like beehive hairdos of the 50s. You can kind of see in your mind's eye what that would sound like. Hey, hon, how you doing? You know, that sort of very salt of the earth sort of accent. That's very white Baltimore. Black Baltimore is, instead of saying the word, I'm going to go to the store, instead of saying it like that, you emphasize certain letters longer than they need to be. So you would say, I'm going to the store, but there is a divide. And you will never hear a black person with a white Baltimore accent. Sometimes, very rarely, you'll hear a white person with a black Baltimore accent, but never the other way. It's very strange. There's a road, and then the accents just split right there. In cinema and in television, the two that come to mind, either on white and black Baltimore, is The Wire or anything by John Waters. Those are pretty good representations. The black Baltimore characters in The Wire, almost none of, I don't think any of them are actually, no, that's not true. Snoop from The Wire is from Baltimore. How <laughs> Snoop 
Hicks is 100% the black Baltimore accent. That is 100%. That's a perfect example, actually, because she's from Cherry Hill, which is uh, that's pretty rough part of Baltimore. Wait, what about John Waters? Because he loves Baltimore. Yeah, no, those are accurate. I mean, I've met Waters. He has a bit of the Baltimore accent, a little bit. The white folks in his movies, 100%. They all uh, nail it. If you've seen the new version of Hairspray, where John Travolta plays the role of the mom, his accent is ridiculous, but it's not that far off of the Baltimore accent. It really <laughs> is. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. I'm in Baltimore for the first time. Where are you taking me? Where are your go-to restaurants, diners, bars? Where is the J tour? First, we go to the, I kid you not, this is serious. The restaurant is called Thai Restaurant. It is a Thai place. My wife and I, when we moved into the area where that place was uh, a number of years ago, we thought that it was going to be bad because it's called Thai Restaurant. What kind of name is that? And it's excellent. And I, we thought that people on Yelp were literally trolling uh, saying that it was great. But then we went in and it turns out it is some of the best Thai food I have ever had. They deep fry an entire whole flounder and then put these amazing Thai seasonings on it, which is really dope. Then I, I would go to Naila's, which is a Senegalese place, which is fantastic. The food is is very well done. It's seasoned to perfection. Um, they were like a guinea fowl, which is awesome. Then I would go to probably one of my favorite places, uh, Chingali, which is a northern Italian restaurant. I love Italian food, but I find pasta to be too boring. So this place is a northern Italian place. Great wine list. Excellent food. I even had lamb brains ravioli. Incredible. Cosima, which is a more traditional Italian restaurant. And uh, there's a barbecue place called Big Bad Wolf's that's really, really good. That would just first day. Wow. Well, all right. And I know you already mentioned a little bit, but just in case, um, what are you eating at Monk's Cafe? I would normally say I'd go with the traditional omelet uh, that I mentioned, but if I'm being honest with them, I think I got to get a salad, not the big salad, Elaine, not the big salad. And then I think I'm going maybe grilled cheese and tomato soup, coffee and a water. Where can everyone find you? You can go to blackonblackcinema.com. That is our show. It is not our main show. I run a company called TMP Studios, and we have a bunch of shows. We have the Nerdpocalypse, which is our like general nerd movie weekly show, nerd news kind of thing. Densepixels.com, which is our video game podcast. Lookforwardshow.com, which is our political podcast. And then you can go to any of those slash premium and sign up for our premium content, uh, which is only... $5 a month or $50 for the full year, and you get airing of grievances, which is our Seinfeld show. So we go through every single episode of Seinfeld, and we discuss the episode, but then myself and my co-host, Micah, who is on Black and Black Cinema, we relate the stories in the episode to things that have happened to us in real life. And it's weird how well the antics of that show line up with the antics of our lives. And we get to tell really wild personal stories under the guise of it being behind a paywall. Jay, this was awesome. You were an incredible guest. Thank you so much for being part of the Restaurant Fiction Podcast. Thank you. I had a great time. Jay, that was cool, man. You're invited back anytime. And guys, just like Jay said, go to tnpstudios.com to check out his awesome body of work. And as for us at Restaurant Fiction, well... You know where to find us. You found us. 
so you know where to find us. I'm Monis Rose, and until next time, keep it real, keep it fresh, and always keep it on the flip side. Cut to exterior, interior, restaurant, bar.